We've been uh, in Genesis for some time, and the last couple of messages on uh, the topic, particularly of Lot, have uh, brought up in my mind a, a need to uh, take a, a short detour. And so our message today is entitled, Remember and Fear. And we are in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 9 through 14 specifically, but uh, to lead up to that, I want to begin reading in Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 1. And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you, and do them that you may live. And go in and take possession of the land that the Lord, the God of your fathers, is giving you. You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep my commandments, uh, the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal Peor. For the Lord your God destroyed from among you all the men who followed the Baal of Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are all alive today. See, I have taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my God commanded me that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them. For that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, who when they hear all these statutes will say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon Him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I have set before you today? Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children, how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, the Lord said to me, Gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. And you came near, and stood at the foot of the mountain, while the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven wrapped in darkness, cloud, and gloom. Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. There was only a voice. And He declared to you His covenant, which He commanded you to perform, that is, the Ten Commandments. And He wrote them on two tablets of stone. And the Lord commanded me, at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you were going over to possess. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have blessed us with the opportunity to be here this morning. We get to be gathered with your people. We get to be gathered together with your word in front of us. 
We get to have your spirit, the spirit of our God, dwelling within us. We are a blessed people. And this morning, as we turn to this passage and discuss this topic of you and the fear of you, I pray, Father, that you would minister to us this morning, that your spirit would have his way in our hearts, that we would learn of you, that we would learn who you are, that we would be directed to Jesus, our Savior. Prepare us even this morning as we look forward to taking the Lord's Supper later. I pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would change us by your Spirit even this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The topic of Lot and his life is what has brought to my mind this discussion, the importance of this discussion of the fear of the Lord and what it means and what it means for us. It's very important, and I think it's one of the main issues in Lot's life that we can observe. And so we've already dealt with those passages, and there's not a whole lot left in Scripture to deal with regarding Lot himself. We're pretty well done with him, but that topic of the fear of God has been raised, and I think it's very important for us to understand. And to help understand and help illustrate um, a little bit of what the fear of the Lord is, I was uh, telling someone a story about a trip that a friend and I took a number of years ago, probably more than 20 years ago, maybe 25 years ago, and we were driving from Chicago and we were coming out west. And uh, he was needing to drive home to uh, uh, be with his family uh, for summertime, or it wasn't summer, it was probably spring break or maybe, maybe uh, uh, Christmas break, I don't know. But he was driving from Chicago to Las Vegas, and he wanted someone to go with him. And I'm always up for a road trip, so I thought, sure. I hopped in with him, and uh, so our plan was, since we were two uh, you know, strong young men, we were just going to drive straight through, because that's what you do when you're, when you're young and uh, strong. And... So we were going to do that, and uh, we made it all the way into Texas, and, and of course, some storm rolled in or whatever, and, and my friend was driving, and we're driving a little, you know, sports car, not really a, uh, something for, you know, tough road conditions or whatever. We're driving along in the interstate, and, and there's a real heavy fog, so you can't see very well, and there's rain coming down, and, and we're driving along, and so, you know, in those times, you're concentrating, and you're just focusing as far ahead as you can, and you, and you kind of get a feel for the road, and he was driving, and... And uh, suddenly, out of the gloom, we could see taillights, and then we could see the marker lights. There, there, was, a, there was a truck ahead of us, and, uh, and it was in our lane, and, and we were moving along a lot faster than the truck was. And so my buddy, no big deal, he just, you know, turns the blinker on and switches lanes. Well, what we didn't realize when we were driving through the gloom and through the rain and the dark is that it had been freezing rain. And you, don't, you can't tell when you're driving, you know, straight and, and, and level that there's ice everywhere. Well, there was ice everywhere. And so as soon as, as soon as he turned to switch lanes, it kicked it open, and we just started doing this down the road. Well, we're coming up real fast on this uh, tractor trailer ahead of us. He was able to get into the left lane, so now we were missing it, but we're still fishtailing and, and you know, squirrely all over the road. 
And I was in the passenger seat of this tiny little car. There's no protection there. And we're going, you know, we're, we're approaching this, this tractor-trailer rig, and, and I'm watching the trailer go by and realizing that if we go under the trailer, we're going to become a part of the trailer. And so, uh, well, we passed that point, and then we started going over, and we, we actually bumped into the drive axles of this truck. And I don't know how fast we were going by then, 45, 50, I, I don't know. But we could have gone right under the truck. We could have, it could have been bad in all kinds of ways. And instead, we just bumped the drive axles, and it just kind of gently squirted us off the road into the median. And, uh, and so we stopped there, and there's snow everywhere, and, and uh, you know, and, and freezing rain and all this stuff. And, and what, what my friend hadn't realized is that he was in an extremely dangerous situation, and he was oblivious to it. He had no idea that the rain coming down was freezing rain. He had no idea that the surface he was driving on, though it was smooth and level, was as slick as an ice rink. And so he had no fear. He was, he was pressing ahead, in retrospect, foolishly, not knowing what the danger was, not knowing the reality of that difficulty. Now, I have family from Canada, and they've driven on ice their whole lives. And that ice doesn't bother them, snow doesn't bother them, freezing rain, it doesn't matter, no big deal, right? Because they know how to deal with it. They understand the dangers of it, they know, understand how to operate. But my friend, being from Las Vegas, didn't have the same kinds of experiences. He didn't have a fear of the weather. He didn't have a fear of the road in an appropriate sense. And it caused a great, great danger to us, and we, we, could, have, we could have perished in that situation. Fear can be a very good thing. There is, a, there is a kind of fear in the Bible that is more like being afraid of God. It's a, it's a fear that, that is, is caused when there's a moment of clarity and a moment of realization of, of what God is like in His power, His might, His, His, His glory, perhaps His righteousness. There's a realization of, of what God is like, and it causes the person to want to run the other direction, to be afraid, to run away from God, to do anything uh, to, to get away. I remember, to, to my shame, uh, spending time with another friend, and we were, we were out in public, and I don't know, we were doing something, we were probably 12, and we were doing some 12-year-old non-smart thing. And uh, my, we, were, we were with my buddy's family, and when his dad found out what 12-year-old non-smart thing we were doing, it was, it was time for the fur to fly. Well, of course, I'm the guest, so my fur is not going to fly. So he got a, hold of, you know, got a hold of my friend and was chewing him out and, and, and just giving him, you know, what for? Well, I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> I just took off, right? I don't want to be anywhere near that. That's the kind of fear that we're talking about. It's a fear where uh, there's an understanding of what God is like in His, in his might and his, his, his power and His glory and, and His ferocity at times. And, and, and the result of that is a wanting to leave. I don't want to be anywhere near Him. But that's not the kind of fear that we're talking about in this passage, not, not the kind of fear that we're talking about today. There's, there's another fear that we're going to talk about today that, that exists for those who have understood God as He is, have seen that He is almighty, not pretty mighty. 
not pretty strong, but he is almighty. He is all glorious. He is all powerful. He is holy and righteous. This is the kind of fear of the person who understands those things about him, but is in a covenant relationship with him. That's what we want to look at today. This is the the fear of God that's commanded all over in Scripture. The one fear is a fear that's put away. Often you will read when an angel shows up, for example, or, or when the Lord speaks to someone, he'll have to say, fear not, because he, the person was about to run away. <laughs> the person was you know, scared of God, afraid of the angel. That's not the, exactly the kind of fear that we're talking about today. This is, this is the fear that is commanded of those who are in right relationship with God, lest we forget the God that we are in relationship with. Even this passage that we looked at today, in the first paragraph, the one we're not going to deal with as much, the first eight verses of, uh, of this chapter really spelled out how, particularly there at the end, it spelled out how blessed the people of Israel were. This precious relationship they have with God. What other people is there like you? What other God is there like our God? There is none. And you get to have Him as your God. You call out to Him and He answers you. What a blessed, wonderful position that you're in. But the Lord understood the temptation that they would face in that situation, which, by the way, is a temptation that we face in our situation. To revel so much in the privilege that we have to revel so much in the fact that we do have this relationship with God that we kind of forget who God really is, the one we are in relationship with. And so the people of Israel are about to enter into the promised land. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. Uh, Exodus happens kind of at the the beginning of their time in the wilderness, and then they travel and and all the things happen in, in particularly numbers. And then Deuteronomy, they're about to go into the land. They're about to enter into the land, and they need reminding of the law. And so we have Deuteronomy, the second giving of the law. And so God saw that they needed to be reminded to fear God. And folks, if, there's, if there is one thing that our nation and the church in America needs to remember, this is, this is one of them, who God is. We think we have tamed God in some way. We think, we think that because uh, we have Christ God is, is somehow our size now. A friend of mine gives an illustration of the fear of God that I think is, is helpful. And he, he, and I may have shared this before, but he, he says, you know, some people think that the fear of God is like going to a, you know, like a carnival or, or the zoo and there's a lion, lion in the cage right behind the bars and, and the lion roars at you. And if you've ever been to a zoo where there's a lion, particularly one that's anywhere near you, and it roars at you, it makes you shake. Even though it's behind bars and, and you know it's not going to break out uh, of that cage, it's behind those bars and it, when it roars at you, you have this, this little bit of fear, but, but, but then you remember, that was loud, but it's behind bars. I'm safe. I'm safe because it is behind bars. But that's not, that's not the fear of God. The fear of, fear of God is more like 
being in the cage, being in the environment with the lion. Now when he roars, you'll shake, but you're at his mercy. You are, you are kept safe in that place with the lion only by the lion's character. There are no bars to protect you. You are there face to face with the lion. That's a different kind of fear. The only thing keeping you safe is the fact that the lion keeps you safe. That's a, that's a different situation. Well, the people of Israel needed to be reminded of that, and I think Lot certainly needed to be reminded of that, and I think the American church in, uh, in, in the 21st century needs to be reminded of that as well. And so today as we look at this passage, I want us to uh, remember several things. And, and, and the instruction here is given to the people that they ought to remember. And we are going to remember as well. First of all, we have a command to remember. Verse 9, after having said how wonderful it is, how blessed you are, what a, what a great privilege you, you, you have to be in relationship with this God, he says, only take care and keep your soul diligently lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. Remember. It's a command for us to remember. We are to be mindful of our soul, he says. Well, how are we to be mindful of our soul? By remembering what we have seen. By remembering what these these people had been through. They were to call that to mind. They were to keep that before them. They were, they were not to let the truths of who God is, how He's revealed Himself to them, they were not to let those truths get too far out of their thinking. Remember. Remind yourself. Because what, what, escapes, the, what escapes the mind escapes the heart. We need to be reminded mentally what goes out of our minds quickly goes out of our hearts. And that's why we need to be reminded so much of the things we already know. If I were to ask you, if you were to ask me certain truths, I could give you the right answer. But that doesn't mean that I remind myself and remember those truths on a daily basis just because I know a factoid buried somewhere in the dust and the clutter in my brain doesn't remember that it's one of those things that governs my life that I keep before my eyes. And he says, we are to keep it before our eyes. And not only that, but we have the responsibility to pass that on to our children. I didn't grow up as a Christian. And so I have experienced uh, salvation in a particular context, in a particular way that is helpful to my children so that they can, they can see and hear about the things that I lived and experienced so that they don't have to. Right? And the things that, that we've grown in, the things that we've come to understand in our time uh, walking with the Lord and in, in, in knowing Christ, we get to pass those on to our children. And not only do we get to, but we're supposed to. And don't we want to, parents? Don't we want our kids to dodge some of the stuff we didn't dodge? And I don't just mean the, the, the things that you did when you were 12 that were non-smart things. There are some major pitfalls in life, not just sin, but even false beliefs. Things I used to believe that now I believe differently. I see Scripture, no, teaches very differently than that. Well, I'd rather my kids got to skip that part. And so we teach our children. We have a command here given in verse 9 to remember. And in verse 10, we have a, a reason to remember. Look at verse 10. 
He says, call to mind how on the day that you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb, or Sinai, same place, at Horeb, the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, that I may let them hear my words, so that they may learn to fear me all the days that they live on the earth, and that they may teach their children so. The reason to remember is so we will fear the Lord. We need to learn to fear God. The purpose of remembering is so we would remember how and remember why we fear the Lord the way we do and the way we ought to. We need to call that to mind. We need to pass that on to our children. We need to keep it before us that if we, if we let those things pass, if we, if we let slip out of our mind what God is really like, and for them, they weren't studying a book to learn what God is really like. We have an enormous benefit because we can read beyond Deuteronomy chapter 4. We have a whole Bible that tells us what God is like. It tells us many other things, but one of the things it tells us is what God is like, and we need to know that. We need to keep that before our eyes. We need to keep that in our minds. We need to teach our children and pass that on to them as well. We have a reason to remember, and it's so we will fear the Lord. But what are we to remember? Verses 11, 12, and 13 really point us to uh, what we are to remember. Verse 11, you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. Do you remember the passage back in Exodus chapter 19? You remember when they're about to receive the law, Moses, Moses is going to go up on the mountain, he's going to receive the Ten Commandments, and, and, and God is going to instruct his people how they are to live, and, and, and all of that stuff. You remember that they were summoned, and they were given instructions about what they ought to do. Don't you dare let them come up on the mountain. They will die. If your donkey touches the mountain, your donkey will die. Right? This is a sacred, sacred place. Verse 11, you came near and stood at the foot of the mountain. <laughs> there was a, a demarcation that they were, to, uh, they were to keep. While the mountain burned with fire to the heart of heaven. You have language here that's, that's familiar to us. We've heard this kind of burning fire language wrapped in darkness cloud and gloom. Do you remember that, people? Do you remember that when you were there? Of course they would remember that. Of course they would know and they would remember that. That's something you don't forget when God reveals Himself in that way. But you and I may have forgotten. Let's go to Exodus chapter 19. Flip back to Exodus chapter 19, if you would. There is a lot going on in this chapter, and what I want us to see here is kind of what, what Moses is referring to in Deuteronomy chapter 4. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I want to start reading in verse, verse 16. And I want us to envision this. It's given in very colorful language. It's given in very descriptive, visceral language on purpose. Starting in verse 16, on the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. So you can picture that and you can, 
and you can, you can smell it. You can, you can hear what's going on. There's this, there's this mountain, and there's, there's thunder and, and lightnings, and, and it's covered in a thick cloud and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. Now, the trumpet blast came from the mountain, and they're all the way down at the foot of the mountain. And the, the blast is so loud it's so impressive. It's so overwhelming to the senses that the people even down in the camp trembled from it. This is, this is quite a display. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain, wise people. Now, Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire. Fire, smoke, thunder, trumpet. You get the sense this is enormous. This is, this is huge. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. The mountain shook. The people were shaking. The mountain was shaking. And at the sound of the trumpet, as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, you imagine that? This thing that was loud enough in the beginning to make you shake in your boots just keeps increasing, just keeps getting louder. What, what overwhelmed your senses in the beginning is now like threatening your hearing. You can feel it in your gut. You can, you can feel it in your head. Grew louder and louder. Moses spoke, and God answered him in thunder. So you, you get this image that is so Powerful is such a weak word. Overwhelming. It, 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 would, it would shake you to your core. Earth shattering. That's what is on display there. And Moses tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 4, tells the people of Israel, remember that. Don't you forget that. Don't block that out. You need to call that to mind. We continue reading over in chapter 20 of Exodus in verse 18 and 19. So this is after the giving of the Ten Commandments. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us, and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us, lest we die. That's what they witnessed. That's what they saw. That's what they felt. That's what they heard. That's what they endured. That's what they survived. That's what Moses wants us to call to mind. Now, that language of, of smoking and fire and all that stuff, that ought to call, call to mind for us, people who are well-versed in Genesis. The, remember the, 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 the image that was given in Genesis chapter 15, and there you've got Abram, and Abram has, has taken these animals and he's split them apart, and he's, he's put them apart from one another, and then while he like passes out, he's put into uh, this, this deep sleep kind of thing, there's an image of a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch. Pass through that. Visceral language again. Descriptive language that, that you can smell. 
That's an image of God passing through those animals. We've heard that image before. We've heard that, that imagery before in the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Smoke, flame, fire, burning. Of course, in that instance, in, in Genesis 19 with Sodom and Gomorrah, that's the language of destruction. In, in, in the language in chapter 15, it was, it was the, 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 the language of, of God making a covenant with Abram about God's own presence, making this covenant that was a, a blessing to Abram and all of Abram's offspring. And in chapter 19, it was the language of destruction. Sodom and Gomorrah, those exceedingly wicked cities. And that same language, by the way, is used continually in the Bible. We, I'm not going to trace it out, but, but in, in uh, Joel, particularly Joel chapter 2, Zephaniah chapter 1, um, you see that it's used of the day of the Lord. The same kind of imagery. When God shows up like that, that's, that's a bad day for those who are His enemies. Our God is a consuming fire. That's a refrain for the rest of Scripture. And in fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 4, we're going to see, we won't see, but in Deuteronomy chapter 4, you have that same language that's picked up by the author to the Hebrews. In Hebrews 12, verse 29, go back to Numbers chapter 4. That, did I say Numbers? I meant Deuteronomy, I'm sorry. Deuteronomy chapter 4. So you've got this image that sometimes represents God showing up, for example, with Abram to do wonderful things. And then you've got very similar imagery at other times to point to destruction, judgment. But the imagery is shockingly similar. But, but there's more there. Verse 12 the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. There are a lot of reasons why that's the case, but, but in the experience of it, you can't even identify the source of the noise. Isn't that spooky? That's one of the reasons I think we don't like the dark. You hear a noise and you, can't, you don't know what the source of the noise was. Should you be scared or is it like your mom coming in to give you a hug? <laughs> you can't tell because you can't see. So when it's, when it's that kind of a situation where you can't see where it's coming from, it's just a noise, you can't identify. You don't have anything, oh, it was that tree falling over that made the noise. It was that car's brakes squealing. It was a, it was a backfire. It was, you're just hearing the noise and you're overwhelmed, but you've got nothing to identify it, nothing to reduce it down to. Oh, that was just a... The experience of it would have, been, would have been terrifying for them. It's scarier not to be able to recognize the source of the sound. I don't know if any of you have ever heard Monty's horn on his truck. He loves that air horn on his truck. And he loves to blow it right by my office window when he's driving by. That'll get your attention. It's like a train horn attached to his truck, right? You want to identify so it catches your attention immediately, right? 
So here these people are being told to call to mind those things, being told to, to, to call to mind the, what it was they saw and what it was they heard, but even in the midst of that, they did not see what was making that noise. They only heard a voice in verse 13. He declared to you His covenant, gave you the Ten Commandments, wrote them on tablets, tablets of stone. You see, if, if they had been presented with that imagery of God. And you could see what the people wanted. Uh, Moses, why don't you interpret for us? We don't want to hear God anymore. He is too scary. They wanted some distance between them and God. But even in, in, in that moment, if that's all they were left with, if, if that revelation of, of who God was all they had about God, that would be a good thing, but it would ultimately drive them away. But the beauty of this is the way Moses puts it and the way God does it is that that consuming fire of a God establishes covenant with those people so that they can draw near. When we use the language of drawing near to worship, that's what's going on. It's not our natural tendency. It, when we understand what God is really like, our natural tendency is to head for the hills. But we, because we are in covenant relationship with God, because He has redeemed us, He has restored us into a right place of relationship with Him, we get to draw near so that, as it were, the, the line of demarcation around Sinai doesn't exist for us. We've been brought in where we get to come in and worship this very same God. So he wants the people to remember, and then we see the result of remembering there in verse 14. The Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and rules that you might do them in the land that you are going over to possess. The result of remembering is obedience. When you call to mind who God really is, and you call to mind that you don't have to run for the hills, that you have been accepted by Him, in covenant relationship, the response is first, worship. And second, is obedience. You want to do what he says. This is the God we are related to. So I have some points of application before we move on to the Lord's Supper. First of all, remember who God is. Even my illustration of a lion in a cage and you being in the lion uh, or in the cage with the lion is woefully inadequate. Remember who God is. And how do you do that? We'll be at church every Sunday to be reminded of who God is. We have a tendency to forget. Come to the evening service to be reminded because we have a tendency to forget. And we have another, another opportunity built into our Sundays where we get to remind one another of who God really is. Read your Bible daily, lest your estimation of God shrink and your estimation of yourself grow. Remember who God is in His glory, in His holiness, in His power, His righteous wrath towards sin. And remember your own sinful state, who you are in the face of that. Remember the the, the, the shaking knees of the Israelites at the foot of the mountain. They remembered theirs for a moment. We ought to remember it as well. And 
having remembered who God is, having remembered our own sinful state, remember the mercy that we have received in the new covenant. That we who were far off have been brought near. That, that he, in, in, in the story we read uh, that's being referenced here in Deuteronomy 4, what we saw in Exodus chapter 19 and 20, God put his laws on stone tablets. And in the new covenant, we have his laws in our heart. We have God as our God. We who were far off because of our sin, we get to be His people by faith alone. Where we who believe get to know the Lord in a personal relationship. That God who melted the mountain, as it were, is our God. We get to know Him and we receive mercy for our iniquities. And our sins, He remembers no more. Let's remember. Let's remember. And let's learn to fear the Lord our God and to walk in all His ways. Remember, the, a great definition of fear in this context is a reverent submission that results in obedience to Him clearly understanding understanding better and better who He is and who we are, that we get to be related to Him, that we get to be united with Him, should result in a submission and obedience and reverence on our part. So let's, let's take care and keep our souls diligently, just as the people of Israel were commanded. And let's remember the Lord and who He is and what He has done for us in Christ. One of the Issues I think I observe in Lot's life and as, as, as we spent time studying him was a lack of this. That he feared other things much more than he feared God. So let's remind one another of who God is. Let's remind one another that we are such people and yet we get to be related to God. So men who are going to serve communion, if you would come forward, please. We're going to take the Lord's Supper uh, together now. This, this that we're about to do is a celebration. It's a reminding. It's a, an opportunity for us to remember together all that we've been talking about. That this God who melted the mountain, as it were, took on flesh, dwelt among us, walked obediently to God, was was perfectly obedient to God's laws, perfectly reflecting all of God's character in His, in his actions and in His words and His inmost thoughts, His motivations. Perfectly obeying where we have not obeyed and going to the cross, the place of payment of penalty of sin for sinners like you and me. He didn't deserve that. He could have escaped that entirely, but that's where He went. And that's what He did. Gave Himself as the payment of the penalty for our sin, for you and for me. He went, went to the grave. He, he died in the payment, and God raised him from the dead, declaring that, that death and sin had no claim on Jesus whatsoever, and that for everyone who is in Christ, everyone who places their faith in Christ, who trusts in Him alone, will find their sins paid for, will find righteousness from Him to us, We'll find that death and sin have no claim on us.
either. That penalty has been paid. And so what we do here with the Lord's Supper exemplifies, calls to mind for us the essence of our covenant relationship, how it is that we sinners can have peace and union with God who melted the mountain in His power and in His glory and in His holiness. God, who is a consuming fire, is our Father. Covenant that we are brought into and we're sealed into by the faith in the redemptive life and death and resurrection of Jesus. And so if, if, you, don't, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't trust Him in that way, let these elements pass and listen to what we've talked about and, and call to mind. See if you can smell. See if you can hear that trumpet blast that started so loud it scared everybody and then it grew in volume. That's the God we're talking about. Think about Him and think about what the result is going to be in your own life. Think about, about what, it, what it means that, that that same language used of Him in the establishing of a covenant relationship like with Abram and like there at Mount Sinai is also the same language used of judgment where answer will be given to God for our sin. And if you're standing there clothed in your own record, before that God, then you'll be consumed. And that's needless. It is utterly unnecessary because Jesus has given Himself in full payment. Trust Him. Look to Him, and you will find pardon for your sins. And you will find peace with that God. So let the elements pass. Think about those things. First, men, we, we come to the bread. Let's take up the bread, please. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 23, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. And so as, uh, as the elements are being passed, that takes a few minutes. You have opportunity to consider, to reflect, contemplating your own sin, and confessing it to God. And confessing your need for Jesus' forgiveness, which is purchased for you by His death. Let me pray. Father, as we take up the bread, we are reminded of Jesus giving His own life for us, that a penalty was due for my sin. A penalty owed to this righteous, mighty, powerful, holy God represented in fire and smoke, and deep darkness and a shaking mountain and a trumpet blast. My penalty of sin due to you, Jesus took in his body on the tree. Father, we have sinned. We have sinned in numerous ways, and we know what they are. 
we confess them to you. And we ask that you would forgive us. And we rejoice that that forgiveness is found by faith in Christ because of his redeeming work. So work in our hearts even now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Next, we take up the cup. Paul continues, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. And so as we're passing the elements, you will have some moments again. So spend time in quiet reflection, contemplating and rejoicing in the fact that you, through faith in Christ, have full and free pardon, that you have peace with God because of what Christ has done, because of the work that He has completed for us in the new covenant. Let's pray. Father, we come to the cup and we are reminded of what Jesus has done for us in His righteous life and in His sacrificial death and that You raised Him from the dead that we also might have life. You have given us credit for His obedience. You've taken away our stain of guilt. You have put within our hearts Your very own Spirit. You have written Your law upon our hearts that we now desire to obey You. We, we can have a true and genuine fear of You because of what Christ has done for us. And so, even as we contemplate our own sin, we recognize the reality of it, and we rejoice that by faith in Christ it is forgiven. We rejoice in the fact that we have peace with you because of what Christ has done. That you have also placed your spirit within us. That we have a growing desire to obey you. And this is all your gracious work for us in Christ, in the new covenant. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Paul concludes, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And if you truly believe in Christ, and if you have come here today in in repentance, then by virtue of Christ's death, I have the great joy of telling you that you are forgiven of your sins. We were going to close with a hymn, but I think this is a good place for us to be done. God bless you all, and you are dismissed.